Hey, this is Kevin from Kevin's Barbecue Joints, and welcome to the Kevin's Barbecue Joints podcast. Welcome to episode one of season two of Wine and Barbecue with Aaron Fijis. Super excited. We're super pumped for our new season. Uh, thank you guys all for watching and listening to last year. We had a lot of amazing guests, and this year we're going to have a lot of amazing ones too. Pairing the worlds of wine and barbecue, just like Aaron and Patrick pair it at their Fijis Barbecue Spring Ranch location. In this episode, Aaron and I talked to Ricky and Katie from Alta Marfa Winery in Marfa, Texas. It is very West Texas. They explained the location, where it is, the soil type, everything about that. But this is such an interesting story. Number one, it's interesting because... Katie worked with Aaron at Fiji's Barbecue Greenway Plaza. So there's some interesting stories and how that all worked out. And Ricky worked in the same complex that Fiji's Barbecue was in. So that's the, the, the whole synergy right there. But I'm going to make this intro short and sweet because we do talk to them for a long time. And we also go over everything that Fiji's has going on at the end of the interview. But I think the one strong takeaway from what they're doing and from their story is that anything is possible. That if you put your mind to something and really focus, you can really do just about anything. They didn't come from a background of wine. They didn't have a lot of assets to put into this business. And so they had to use their will and determination. The pandemic gave them a little push, but I think that that's a great takeaway from this. So I can't thank Ricky and Katie enough for taking the time. I can't thank Aaron enough for wanting to do this show because it's such a fun idea and it's just turned out to be better than we ever imagined. If you're watching this prior to the Super Bowl, Fijis will be open all day on Sunday throughout the game. So you can come in, stop in, eat there, drink some wine. They're also making scratch-made sausage. So that's a really cool takeaway. So all the Fiji stuff is at the end, all the Alta Marfa stuff is at the beginning. If you want to support Alta Marfa Winery, join their wine club. I'll have a link below. But sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. There's a lot going on with Altamarfa and there's a lot going on with like the Fijis relationship with Ricky and Katie that I think is super interesting and cool and I'm oh, looking yeah. forward to talking about all of it um, but what we were just talking about is the timely opening of their winery in Marfa which is a historically fickle business town in the sense that most people are not very committed to their business hours and so we were just talking They've opened this winery. They're committed to being open a couple of days a week. And I think it's really awesome. This is like a huge step towards what they want to do. So I'd love to hear a little bit more from them about that. Yeah. So we just opened this past weekend was like our grand opening. And we're going to be open every Friday and Saturday. And for right now, just for a couple hours, basically until it gets dark. Are you guys in downtown Marfa? Not like downtown, but because it's a small town, it's like we're on like... We're on the main road. Yeah, we're on like the main road. (laughs) So is this something that people should call ahead to make an appointment or will you have hours or will they look at social media? What's the best way to make sure people, when they do stop by... So that's that's part of being open with regular hours. All of last year, we were open for like tastings by appointment or if you come visit, if you emailed us or called but this is meant to be just open given hours. It's like three to seven on Friday and noon to seven on Saturday. Oh, and just drop in. Don't, you know, don't need a reservation or anything. And we're trying, really trying to have food pop-ups or like, you know, hot, hot food on Saturday at least. Oh, that's um, cool. And then we have other snacks and tin fish and stuff when we don't have that, but especially Marfa. Yeah. Weird, weird place for a lot of reasons. <laughs> yeah. But there's often, especially around lunchtime, just no no food to be had, especially this time of year. So, so explain why Marfa is a tricky place. 
I mean, it's a small town. I think it's like mm-hmm. yeah, one of small. those things that it's super touristy and has gotten a lot of write-ups, but it's still like, it's a town of a little over a thousand people. So it's, it's like any small town that like, you know, there's not a huge population of available employees. There's not necessarily a lot of like draw or like capital within the community to be open every day. But Mm -hmm. like, it is this weird touristy thing that because there are a lot of people visiting, there is demand for some type of stuff and there is demand for like good food and all of that. And so unlike a lot of small towns, there is like some really quality food and some really quality like bars and a lot of cool things happening, but it still is a small town that doesn't have consistent employment. And a lot of people think of Marfa, at least and I'm in Los Angeles, I'm California. When I think of Marfa and I have not visited yet as an arts, like an art center or people that are artistically minded or creative is that still is that still the case or is that the case totally yeah it it basically was like not obviously not founded or anything but this artist like donald judd came there in i think the 70s or 80s and bought up a lot of the town um and opened his like two museums um judd foundation and chinati and so there and brought a lot of his like artist friends at the time and so they're there was a lot of starting then and his two museums are live on and continue to bring in a lot of art to the town. And so that has driven a lot of like people that are in into art or creative pursuits kind of are still pretty present in the town. It's also too, isn't it home to a barbecue joint? It is. Convenience West. I've heard great things. Yeah, they're like uh on our end of town. Yeah. So like We're slightly dangerous. going out of town, but there are neighbor by like about 500 feet and they're they're super awesome yeah and they seem really creative and interesting and I, I've I followed I, I was making a a blog post about them with photos and they're you know funky people it just seems like fun and and so that's interesting so now for someone who's on the barbecue side that is just getting into wine this is now two places at least and then plus the museums and different things too wow that's cool definitely definitely and that it goes back to the small town thing for a town of this size it's not just a town that's this small it's that you know there's a lot of small towns that have a lot more things because they're an hour away from a large city and we are three hours away from a small city <laughs> you're three hours away from nothing yeah. Yeah. are you three hours away from which one is it how far away are you from marathon Marathon or maybe like an, an hour, hour and a half. Okay. But obviously that's still it's a small, small town. Yeah. Yeah. That's we're a really like, small like town three, too. We're like three hours from El Paso. So that okay. would be like probably the next or three hours from Midland too. So those would be like the two next largest places. But Marathon also has good barbecue. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's, that's, and I, I've heard of people going through that like little that yeah. road and especially going to um, Big Ben National yeah. Park. Big Ben. <laughs> Yeah. I, don't know, I was gonna say Big Ben, but for some reason it didn't sound right <laughs> coming out of my mouth. See, I'm still a little. Is that I'm, the place in London, or is that? I've <laughs> just seen the sky at, the, at night, and it just looks gorgeous. And oh yeah, so I think I you're talking about Ben Sasani's photo. Uh, probably with his son sitting on. Yeah. Top of a, yeah. A, yeah, on the truck. Yeah, his beautiful photo, but also too, I think he gives a class for. Anyways, I digress. How did you guys? Because aired off camera yesterday spoke to me about the connection. How did you guys? You worked together at one point, right? Yeah, yes. I worked for Aaron when. So I worked for Aaron and Patrick when they first opened Fegis in the Greenway building, and wasn't one of their like first employees, but was like in the first like three or four employees, um, and helped them 
like open that spot and was there for like probably maybe a year and a half. I don't a hundred percent remember, yeah. but was there for like a time. good amount of time. And Ricky worked in that same building just as like an engineer. <laughs> so, so we were to work and I went to my kitchen job and he went to his engineering job. <laughs> well, and Katie's being like really she's downplaying her role because we had such a small team and she was part of the opening crew. So like she really was vital to getting us, you know, we got open and it was like our first business. So lots of learning curves, but you really were an amazing person to work with. And, uh, and then you went on and did some really fun stuff. Um, that was more like culinary focused, but I was telling Kevin yesterday, I remember your interview really well because you had this teaching background and there was just a lot of like interesting things that were part of the interview that we learned about you because you're a really interesting person. And when we were talking about your five-year, like, where do you, what do you want to be doing in five years? You'd said something about, well, my fiance and I are, um, <laughs> you know, we want to, we want to do wine. And, and that was like the first that I became aware of what you guys were doing. And I think it was um, still really, it was not, it was more than a concept by then, but it was still in the very early phases. And we're coming up on five years. Like that was in about a month or two, we would be hitting that five-year mark from when we had that interview and you said that that was your answer. And like, you're doing it like you, you know look what you're doing now so I think that's really cool when first Fiji's barbecue location started almost five years ago we didn't have a concrete plan of like well we want to have a winery in five years I think at that point we were just about to plant or no we weren't weren't yet we we had decided to plant a vineyard basically um and I don't and there was no no timeline for having a winery or even making wine it was more of a, a side thing we were doing while working in Houston, living in Houston. We had no plans to leave Houston. <laughs> so, you know, obviously for that and many other bigger reasons, the last five years have been, have, you know, things have changed around a lot. Your location, like where you guys are, it's so unique and it's so remote. How did you end up there? So, I mean, the, <laughs> the uniqueness and the remoteness is definitely why, but basically I, I Googled where is the least hot place in the summer in Texas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> why was that important? So not, not for our, our, our own comfort this is for with the idea of like wanting to grow grapevines to make wine. And in a lot of places in the state, it's the climate is is so hot and so humid and rains so much that it's that would it's an extremely challenging place to grow grapes whereas here it's cooler it's not humid the the, the climate is such that it it's a, a more ideal place to try to do that because of the altitude the altitude is the reason why mm -hmm. it's different and yeah where where we're planting mines is over over 5000 feet Oh, wow. So for the people that are listening and watching, where exactly are your grapes that you're growing located? The grapes we're growing are located in the Texas Davis Mountains, which is three hours east of El Paso. Yeah, about seven hours from Austin. We're about, I think we're about an hour and a half from the Mexican border. So far west Texas, very, very remote. Are you living right by there? Yes. Grapevines in two places, actually. One is at the house we're living in. 
and then one is about five miles from there and we we live like 15 minutes outside of the town of Waterford. you're right at the base of the mountain right what soil type are you i mean is it rocky like i can only imagine because you guys are doing everything yourselves right yeah. I, you're, you're self-funded there's not like this big financial machine you know theoretical machine or figurative machine like providing you with all sorts of equipment so you're having to do all the heavy labor yourself right and i can only imagine that that ground is pretty it's giving you a workout yeah so we're at like kind of the base of blue mountain is the name of the mountain and all of the mountains in like this range are like volcanically formed so it is extremely rocky we like extremely struggled to get any amount of holes in there and there's basically just no soil very, very challenging <laughs> to dig holes there and yeah definitely a lot of that ends up getting done by hand because we don't have a tractor or a bulldozer or any of these things and it's kind of too like too steep and too rocky to even really run like large equipment over yeah we, you, we need some very we very serious equipment to to do that when you were working at fugis with her like and you were an engineer what was the impetus to make you guys think we want to do this and because there's people that every i think I'll, i've talked to a lot of people oh i'd love to have a vineyard someday or i'd love to make wine someday what made you, was there some place that you visited that made you think this is something we want to do for life or your family members or? I think there's, there's not, not a family connection. I, I look at it more as wanting to start our, our own business of some type. Mm -hmm. And then where you go from there is like, well, what, what thing am, am I interested in? And that was wine, but more specifically, like it started out as growing grapes. So like more interested in, in farming, growing grape vines, like the both of those things, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm sure to be honest, the, these days, that question, it sort of sounds like, yeah, why, why did we want to do this? Definitely a lot of days of like, oh man, back at Greenway, that was, that was pretty nice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I know. I mean, I'm sure Aaron can answer this question about starting a business the same way as I, I think there's some amount of just wanting to work for yourself and not for somebody else it's like the thing that you love the most and hate the most yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when there's problems there's nobody to like you're like oh i'm the problem person oh. yeah. <laughs> this, this is not working because of me <laughs> that's hilarious but did you think like so then you guys it was obviously something that you brought up when you talked to aaron i guess even the interview or maybe while you're working but it's how did you have the confidence to make that jump? <laughs> or, do you, or do you still um, not have it? Oh, we just did it. I'm not sure we still have it. Yeah. But. Yeah. I remember almost every weekend that you guys were going, either both of you or one of you was driving or flying. I guess you you kept a truck at, in, at the Midland Airport. And I want to ask you about these trucks too, because this is like fascinating to me. But um, you would fly to Midland drive and you'd spend the whole weekend just tinkering and building and part of it was like the tent that you guys had which was the structure there and then the irrigation system like you were always every weekend you had like a big to-do list and a big project and you guys seemed very motivated and it may not it may be that like because it was all a blur that that all kind of like seems almost like disassociated from yourself but that's how I remember it I remember you guys were just 
you just like turned and burned. You were like, we just, we have to get these things done. I was so impressed by your ability to just like, and you had a lot of obstacles, right? Like as everybody does, but I just remember because you guys were documenting it, like things would show up on Instagram and social media and stories. And I would just be like, man, this is when people just like quit. This is when people are like, (laughs) and you didn't, you like, you kept doing it. And And you didn't have, you have a big support system of friends, but you didn't have a big support system in the sense that you had all these resources available to you, which makes things harder, which is why it's even more impressive that you stuck with it and you kept going and you guys are, you know, bottling wine now. And I would just love, I mean, I remember we, we came out to visit in May of 2018 because I was pregnant. I just found out I was pregnant and Ricky, you were there and you were talking about the irrigation system. And I feel like because you're an engineer, these are the things that you get like really excited about and into, but you were really building a lot of it. Yeah. Like your hand, like you were building things. Irrigation system, the tent, we had like a safari tent there that we stayed in for several years. All, all that stuff was, was homemade and, you know, had, you know, there were good and bad things about that. <laughs> yeah, I think initially, you know, when we were living in Houston and and going out on the weekends, it was a lot of work, but there was no pressure for anything really to happen other than like we wanted the grapevines to grow and we planted them and we wanted, you know, progress to happen. But mm-hmm. there was no, at this time, we're both working full-time in Houston and at that stage, there's also no way like you're getting revenue or we didn't have anything to sell. So it wasn't really a business yeah. at that point. It was more just like, we're going to try to see if we can plant vines and have them actually grow. Whereas I think that, you know, what I think Kevin was starting to ask about is like, when when is like the transition? Yeah. And that really, I think was COVID related because we were... We had no plan to have a, a winery or do any of that stuff really until COVID happened. Katie was working at a restaurant, restaurants close, get laid off. Oh. And then my job became, became a remote work situation. And then also I was working for an oil company. Oil price goes down to zero. They're all, you know, everything is bad. And the company I was working for basically was asking people to like volunteer to quit. Yeah, um, it happened a lot. Yeah. And, and I, you were like, me. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I sort of maybe got caught up at, this was June of 2020. Um, so I think I got sort of caught up in the, like, the world is ending. Like, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. We don't know what the future is at that time. Yeah. Like exactly. it was, so... it was very uncertain. And I think, I don't know. I, I, quit that job uh and then about 15 minutes later tried to unquit uh because i you know that that was you know the, the quitting was the moment when i was like oh maybe i should think about this and then you know probably should have done that in the other order yeah uh, they said no no unquitting uh, that's shocking yeah so then it was sort of uh you know a week of freaking out and being like well you know uh, if we if we had wanted to start a winery, we probably needed a bunch of money and you know security and resources, which we now don't have anymore. <laughs> so that didn't really make any sense. But at that point, it was sort of like 
you know, still, still deep COVID, still no oil job to go back to. So it was like, well, the, so the option, the only option is like, well, if, can we make the wine thing a business now? Like what, what would it take to do that? So we basically spent six months trying to make a business plan to do that, which again, we had not done before because there was no plan to have yeah. it. So did that for about six months and, and was were able to like borrow some money to start uh basically we got you can call them investors but basically people who loaned us money to get a lease a winery space and buy grapes the first year and buy equipment and do all that stuff and we worked on this business plan for like six months and we set a time of like sending it out to anyone we could think of and I, I was convinced that we probably were not going to get enough, you know, the amount of money that we decided we needed. Turns out we should have asked for a lot more money. That would have been better. Uh, <laughs> but we ended up getting the, the money that we thought we needed. So then it was like, okay, well, now we're going to make wine this year and it's going to be a winery. It ended up taking a full another year to get our own winery space. So we ended up having to rent a space in Fredericksburg, which is five and a half hours from here. So we're driving back and forth uh, there <laughs> lots of driving involved in yeah, it sounds like a, a lot of uh yeah moving around like flying driving but that, no but this is interesting and it's interesting because i've talked to a couple people in general and in, in these interviews who not wine related but who that covid pushed them in a certain yeah. direction and it seems like this pandemic if it wasn't for that we might not be speaking or it would be a different scenario maybe it'd be two years later or who knows what yeah That's i mean really interesting I, I don't see any way in which without covid happening we wouldn't still be living in houston i don't know you know who knows what would happen but, That's wild. yeah and we've lived here for two years now but you guys didn't did you know how to make wine <laughs> when you <laughs> <No. That's> so, <laughs> this is so fast this is so fascinating this is great and when people watch this they'll understand what you're journey was and they'll yeah. make it'll make them appreciate what you're doing even more i hope so we made wine before 2020 like before covid we i think 2019 was the first time we made wine okay it basically was like one of now like our like business part or like um vineyard partners but also who's been like a good mentor to us kind of the whole time for like farming basically had extra grapes and was like do you want to make wine this year from these grapes and you can just like make it in my winery so we did that in 2019 and he kind of like helped us so we technically had made wine before we decided to like you know quit all of our jobs and make wine full-time but That's great. Uh, but it was and that was laser cats oh, or laser yeah. kittens yeah, yeah. I remember that. Laser. <laughs> but that was like we made 10 cases of wine which like there's 12 bottles in a case so like that's like that's like homebrew territory. Yeah. Not even, yeah. you know. That sounds like what my next door neighbor when I was a kid, that he was a, he made wine. He stomped grapes. Uh, yeah. listen, he was half blind and he stomped grapes in his uh, <laughs> boxer shorts. He was an old Italian man with blasting <laughs> Italian music and singing. <laughs> and then he'd leave a bottle on my parents' like wall. And then, but he made probably that many. Yeah. Even yeah. less probably. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's, so at least you had your, you got some chops. You got a chance to. Yeah, I mean, we we did it. I think wine making wise, it's something that you only get to do once a year. So mm -hmm. 
there's a pretty long time period from doing it once and then thinking about, well, what would I do differently? And then doing it again. And well, now what am I going to change and doing it again? So we, we've, we've done a, you know, a lot of research in terms of drinking a bunch of different wines and thinking about, <laughs> you know, how, what, what bearing that has on what we're doing. And then also just trying to ask as many people as we can find as many questions as possible. It's like, why, you know, why do you do this? What, what did you do to make this wine taste this way? Or, you know, all those different things. So it's just an ongoing process, the, the learning. For the winemaking that, because Ricky has like chemical engineering background, he like has done a lot of chemistry and all of that kind of stuff, at least on the front end has understood a lot of the like scientific things, at least definitely more yeah. so than myself. But like, I think that's made some of the, at least entry into guessing about how you should make wine a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah. The wines that you released last year, was that your third go at making wines? Your third year? Or was there more? Yes. Last year, if it was 2021. 2021 was our third vintage. Yeah, which those ones. Those wines, yeah. Yeah. So I had that the Tempranillo... Tell us what that was called. You guys had the series of the three Tempranillos grown in different soil types. Yeah, so three three bottlings of Tempranillo for each from a different vineyard in Texas um, and then labeled by the soil type. So there's limestone, sandstone, and volcanic. And those vineyards, each of those vineyards is, you know, a few hundred miles apart from the other, but all within mm-hmm. Texas. So the the idea was these are all going to be really different, even though it's the same grape variety and we're doing the winemaking the same, the process is the same and it worked. They were all pretty different. So that was, yeah. that was a really cool thing. As somebody who drinks wine from a curiosity standpoint, more so than from like a social standpoint, like I drink wine because I'm curious about it. Probably yeah. how you guys approach like, you know, the flavorings and understanding like the questions that you want to ask other producers. I thought it was so interesting to try them. Um, I didn't try them all in the same day, but I tried them all like within a week and I would pour them for Patrick. And like, we were always with groups of people vastly different. And it's just, it's so cool. Cause I don't think Patrick really understood, you know, he's not really into wine. So it all kind of blows over his head when you're talking like terroir and soil type and climate and like, all of these things, how much sunlight it gets, how much exposure, all of it. He doesn't really, it doesn't mean anything to him, but I think having them, like knowing that they were all the same grape and because it was from you guys, he paid more attention to what was going on. And it kind of like flipped a light for him that he understood now what makes wine so intriguing for people. Um, Because I was like, this is fascinating. I think my favorite was the um, limestone. That was also the first one. And I was just blown away. I think I posted about it. Like you guys have just, your winemaking's really, you guys probably still feel like you have a lot to learn. And certainly you you do, because you're, you're this is only your third year doing it. But wow, you guys are producing some really awesome stuff. I was really impressed. Definitely excited to hear that kind of story. Like you said, with Patrick, I think that's, the way we do our labels and write what we write on the labels. And we made the last two years made like 16 wines each year, which isn't really a good idea. (laughs) Um, But I think all of that 
all of that stuff together reflects it. Like we're sort of in the same place, just a little further into it of, of mm-hmm. being like, wow, it, you know, having that light bulb turn on and have that curiosity of like, oh, that's why this is like this. This is, you know, it's sort of like ongoing learning. And I think yeah, it's always exciting when you sort of bring people along with you like that. Yeah. I, I think it was so valuable because for us in our relationship with Pat, like me and Patrick, he's really into whiskey and bourbon and I'm really into wine. And there's the things that he likes about whiskey and bourbon are the things that I like about wine. The fact that he can like see, tell differences and that he can respect producers and practices and all of that. But it was just really awesome to see it kind of click for him for the first time. Like I said, I drink more for curiosity. So when people are like, pick a wine on the menu, I'm like, you really don't want me to order for you guys. Cause I'm probably, <laughs> I'm going to order like the most esoteric, probably the cheapest, but not because that's my intention. It's just like the wines that I go for are not like these classic wines. And the reason is because I know what those classic wines, yeah, I know I'm going to like that. And I actually don't want that. I want to be risky and I want to try something new. And so it's fun for me to try y'all's wines. It's, it's really fun for me. Like I would maybe on a different podcast, like just want to know so much about how you guys are able to manipulate flavors or get certain things out of wine. Like what have you learned in all of your probing that's kind of steered you in directions for your winemaking? I mean, I don't know if I have an exact answer for that, but kind of like part of the, like kind of going back to the reason why we made 16 wines or the reason why we made like those three wines that came from different soil types is kind of this obviously we're trying to learn, but also Texas is like a super pretty new state for making wine that is not like really established and, and is still kind of learning what, what like type of grapes grow here, where, where do they grow? How should you treat them? Kind of all this kind of stuff. So I think we more approach the winemaking of like not really doing any manipulation. And it's more like what happened in the farm that's making it different from year to year or different from place to place. So I think that's like much more of our type of winemaking, which, you know, maybe again can be sometimes could be bad because they're going to taste different from year to year. We're not ever sometimes going to get the same wine, um, which is sad if it was really good wine and then all of it's gone. Um, (laughs) But but I think that's kind of more what we. Yeah, I think that's a a really good way of putting it. I think also, you know, what, what we're doing at the winery is there's only so much we can do with the grapes that we end up with. And part of being, you know, a winery in Texas is that like, there's lots of wine that in 2020 we made, or in 2021 we made, and then we couldn't get the grapes the next year. So then we do something different with different grapes. So there's lots of, you know, there's in different places in the world or different winery setups. It's sort of like a lot of wine is made where you have one vineyard and you make a wine out of that. And then the next year you have the same vineyard and you just do that and, and you're learning, you can sort of like learn in a sort of more linear way. And you still have different differences between the years of one year was a hot year, one was a cold year, they're gonna be different. But we are trying to get to a point, I would say we're at the beginning of going in search of that, of like, how, how can we get to a point where we know certain things work well and we're gonna to try to like commit to those and do those every year so we can improve mm-hmm. rather than just sort of starting from scratch 
every year with everything. Yeah, and that's a so. challenge. That's but also too through doing episode like season one of this podcast, Erin uh, has has talked about the fact that that's something too that she loves is that every year it's going to be different with different winemakers that she chooses and that she likes mm-hmm. to use because that's that's the beauty and when that when that's gone that's gone it's kind of like it's there's something special about that too but obviously consistency you know mental like mentally it would be a little easier for you guys to have something where you're just tweaking slightly as opposed to you know, starting from scratch like you said yeah exactly and and that to be clear the goal is not to make the each wine even if we're making like uh, a certain wine year after year the goal is to not make it the same every year yeah. goal is to make it the best version of what it can be in that year but that's a whole different thing from just making an entirely different wine out of different grapes from a different vineyard mm-hmm. you know that yeah. that's it's a huge challenge yeah how do you get past that because it's you're purchasing based on in some regard availability right absolutely yeah i mean it, availability is a challenge i think you know one one way is developing you know the longer we do it we can develop stronger relationships with grape growers to the point where we can have more consistency or you know sort of you know just have a longer term relationship that allows more consistency and then some of that is also deciding like you know we've tried making a certain wine a few different times different ways and it's we don't have an answer for this so let's try something like just stop and try something else um, the other thing is, is growing our own grapes. You know, that's something that we're still working on, uh, you know, five years later. <laughs> and, uh, we've made a lot of progress and we've learned a ton. You know, when we mm-hmm. started, we didn't know anything about growing grapes or farming or doing any of that stuff. So it's definitely very slow progress, you know, because farming just, you can only do, you know, you have one one annual cycle every year and that's what you can do and then also because now we're trying to run a winery full-time and then both also work other jobs so there's a there's a limited amount of time so that just Mm -hmm. kind of has to happen as slow as it needs to happen but that's another way to get consistency and stuff is having our own grapes which we have more control over what grapes do you growing we have two little vineyard planting spots right now one is a red field blend meaning there's like 25 different red grape varieties all planted in the same place, all mixed up. Wow. Um, and then the other one is this, a similar thing, but with white grapes. And you're kind of testing to see what grows best? So it's not, it's not as much that. I think when we first started, we had that idea of, of like, well, we're going to plant different things and then pick the ones that do well. At this point, I think it's it's not as scientific as that. It's more like, you know, we plant 25 varieties all mixed up over a couple acres. And that way, in a hot year, some of them are going to do better and some of them are going to do worse. And then in a rainy year, some of them are going to do better and some of of them are going to do worse. So you have this sort of like strength through diversity situation. And then over the very long term, say, you know, 25 years from now, there's always like attrition of vines in a vineyard from time to time and some that do well and some don't so it's what you sort of do is vines that die or aren't thriving or whatever you might take one out and replace it with a cutting from this vine over here that's doing well and we might not even know which which variety was the bad one and which was a good one or whatever but 
it doesn't really matter once you sort of have them all out there and see what they're doing. And the like field blend also is like when we make the wine, all of those will just basically be put in one into one wine with also the idea being like, because it's different grapes, depending on the like year, if one has like more acid or one got more ripe or one is like whatever, ideally the whole wine at the end kind of balances out. And it's not as much like, oh, it was a crap year for this grape. Now we're just yeah. kind of at a loss. You know, the idea is like, hopefully kind of balance. So you're like growing a red blend. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. I've never heard that. That's awesome. That's really neat. <laughs> you guys need to like trademark a name for it. You know, like the German wine, like the Edelsweiker, but you just need to like create like the Marfa version of that. Yeah, our own yeah. thing. Yeah. Is that something that other people do or is that something unique to you guys? Or do you that's know? a very it's common very old-fashioned thing yeah okay cool and i think that's yeah it was something that was done for resilience and consistency year after year so that you don't have you're less vulnerable to not having a crop or having a bad crop or something like that yeah like putting all your eggs in one basket kind of thing yeah it's like yeah. an insurance policy that you're not yeah. going to be out of luck yeah. every year or something like that yeah it's so interesting. I, I'm familiar with like the vinification reason for blending, you know, like you want a tannic grape. Um, like there's a reason why Bordeaux blends are the way they are, right? Because the grapes that are indigenous to that area and grow well, you know, some of them are like what they contribute is tannin and the others contribute acidity. And some of them just, you know, like there's, there's reasons for why certain things exist in blends in the winemaking, but I haven't really ever thought of it from like the farming. And so that's interesting. That's really cool. How old are those vines? They're three years old, four years old. They're like, two, they're like two, two and three. We still have a few in the vineyard, not at our house that are technically from the first planting, like five years with these new varieties. And then like we've, and we've changed like how we're planting them and we've change kind of all of the process those are like like two-ish years yeah, yeah yeah so sort of like the second generation after we learned yeah those were yeah. planted 2021 and 2022 and then we're going to be doing more you know this year 2023 and then more you know little by little and we planted so, at our house too in 2021 that's going to okay. be like oh white grape varieties also field blend um, <laughs> are you how long before you start making wines from the grapes you have is question a and question b is are you already making wines but just to kind of see where they're at structurally haven't made wine from them yet um ideally maybe they'll start producing grapes in like two to three years and like yeah maybe in a year or two we would get like some tiny amount of grapes and then would make like you know one five gallon thing just to see what it's like mm -hmm. but so far haven't really had grapes and, and definitely have been trying to like preference like root growth and strength above like producing some tiny amount of fruit um yeah so ho hopefully like two to three years that's like the long haul project at this point <laughs> that'll be exciting yeah yeah I think about like, cause you know, half of our audience or some portion of our audience, it's the barbecue people that are listening with a barbecue experience or passion. And I, you always hear pitmasters complain about, not necessarily complain, but they talk about like their early days and how you wouldn't know you 
effed up a brisket until 18 hours later, you know, because it takes so long. And I'm thinking, wow, in the wine world, it's like a year later and you're going like, you're scratching your head going, yeah, we got to do it different next year. But like the, just the, the time it takes to learn is so long. It's, I think that's one of the reasons I appreciate wine so much. And like the process of it is, it takes so much patience. So, and you guys are, really laying that out right now (laughs) just how much patience it's funny like being that my day job is cooking and then this is my other job because we've like talked about all the time like in the kitchen you can like whatever be learning a new dish and like in one single night you could possibly get like 30 50 like reps of practicing something and then like that could be in one night and then if you work a whole week you can get like over a hundred pretty quickly and so like even when it's difficult and maybe you had a really hard time at the first week, you get in so many like reps to be able to practice. And mm-hmm. in winemaking, it's like people even that have been making wine for 30 years have technically only done it 30 times. Yeah. That's, that's like wait a year in between that can be looked at anyway. But, but I think, and again, like in our winemaking style, and I think in like the cooking that I've found most exciting is kind of like, okay, yes, what do you do to it? What do you, like, how do you smoke it? What's the blend you put on it? What's whatever, but it also still really matters of like, where did that meat come from? Who farmed it? What were they being fed? What like were the people that handled it looked like? What are then your employees doing with it? You know, there's all of these things that kind of go into it from the beginning that often are yeah, stuff that you don't have to control as much. So ho- hopefully it doesn't matter, at least in winemaking that you get so much well your experience just takes takes so much longer (laughs) the parallels I think are so interesting to me between barbecue and wine so I always try to explain to people like barbecue is really simple and it's there's a few like really important steps but really the less you do to manipulate it the better it's all about just doing you know using good ingredients like starting with a good brisket and the wood you use and the smoker you're using and like just the weather, how much weather can impact how long it takes, how hot your fire stays, you know, how hard it is to maintain temperatures. So like, if it's super windy, like people will sit there and say like, it cooked hot for two hours and then cold for two hours because they were, you know, really having trouble maintaining the box and the, the temperatures. And, but these are all really simple things, right? Like fire is simple. Fire was you know, invented, you know, at the dawn of man, right? So we're not talking about complicated things. Wine is the same way. Wine is one of the first, you know, imbibing like inventions of humanity, right? But yet it's still just like with barbecue and pitmasters, wine, it's still something that so many people cannot wrap their heads around. It's still something that people really respect and admire. And it's still something that very few people do. Because even though it's so simple, it's also so hard. It's so hard to get it right. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point. And that parallel is really true. I think, and it is interesting that those are both things that people, for whatever reason, kind of think are just like magic. You know, it's like, it's a, there's like a magical transformation into from one thing into another (laughs) when yeah when you know how it works it's like it's pretty simple but 
it is a huge transformation for a pretty simple process in both cases, I think. Mm -hmm. I remember the first year you guys did plantings. I don't remember the details, but you had to replant. Was Were they diseased? Yeah. Um, what happened? Basically the first year we got them shipped from like a nursery and the way they arrive is like a dormant vine. So they basically just look like a stick and you mm -hmm. can't, you know, it's not like it's like, oh, it's a plant and all the leaves look dead. I can see that. It's a stick. Okay. Um, so we planted, you know, 6,000 sticks and then uh, none of them grew. Oh. And then the nursery like basically finally was like, oh yeah, something was wrong with those. And they didn't really tell us what, but they like re they gave us all new ones the next year for free. But yeah, basically we planted yeah. whatever was wrong with them just a bunch of dead vines <laughs> oh my God. look at it as like an opportunity to practice planting yeah. right like now you guys yeah. i mean that first year we like i was building your like finishing irrigation as people were putting vines in the ground so yeah. to be honest we weren't prepared um and it was maybe not a negative that we got to that we got to do it over again with more preparation the second year what wines will they be tasting and all that good stuff and the wine club and all that stuff. so yeah we have as as we kind of mentioned earlier we like last year made 16 wines so currently we have 16 different wines up for offer which is not always the plan but we definitely like we have a sparkling wine a rosé whites reds orange wine like we kind of want to offer like a pretty large swap tried a lot of different things so that anyone who comes can kind of get something they're like happy with but the the reason for making so many different wines is not to offer a large variety mm -hmm. the reason is because a lot of you know we're trying to find the best grapes that we can buy and often there's only a small amount available so to get to the total volume that we want to do we're buying a lot of different lots that are very small Whereas, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of, you know, many wineries that they buy one lot from, of one grape from one vineyard that's larger than our entire production of 16 wines. <laughs> so we're trying a lot of different things because that's what we can do. That's what we have available. So they could try all at all 16 different wines at your... Uh, not not all 16 are still available. Some of them are sold out at this point from okay. 2021. And then we have yet to release any 2022 wines yet. That'll probably be in April. But I think right now we have seven, seven or eight wines available. Okay. Um, either, you know, we just opened the winery. So either, either Friday or Saturday at the winery or uh, also on the website, we sell wine and ship everywhere that you can ship wine to. And people can come taste and purchase as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. At, in person at the winery in Marfa, definitely. Yeah, but we can also ship, like Ricky said, we can ship wine. We have distribution in a few states as well. So like depending on, on where people live, you yeah. might be able to find wine on the shelf. Yeah, yeah. Colorado, New York, Texas. And California soon. Col um, yeah, some more places. Yeah. And New York. Yeah, let me know once California too, where I can pick it up. I got, yeah. But yeah. I was, I, I was going to join the wine club. I was looking at it. I bookmarked it last night because oh, yeah. I meant to prior to my little stay for a couple months and then... <laughs> It's like when well, I came uh, back, yeah. Because and, and and the wine club, how often is it? Do you? It's a once a year. Yeah. So that's thanks for reminding us. We should we should always talk about the wine club. <laughs> so basically, the wine club is you get six bottles twice a year, once in April and once in October, and 
you get 10% off those wines and any other wine you want to buy. Uh, and then you also get free shipping as long as you buy, buy at least three bottles. So it's definitely like if, if people are trying to try our wine, want to buy it, it is, it is the best deal for sure. And it's not a huge commitment. I, the way I look at it, yeah. is if you drink, you know, that's one bottle a month for the year. If that's, you know, if, if, if you, you drink wine, if you drink wine, that's, yeah, I, hope that's, that's, that. I hope that's doable for people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. one bottle. I'm a, a member and I love it. Yeah, it's easy. Our, our first, our first yeah. members. It's I, I remember wine, you talking wine about shows it. Shows up. Yeah, yeah. No, I love, I love. Yeah, wine clubs. It's, it's a cool thing to do, especially if it's a wine that you love, because then you don't have to think about it. It just. Yeah. It's like yeah, a, yeah. it's a magically appears. arrives at your door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's true. definitely like buying from us or joining a wine club is also like the best way to support us or any other like small producer. So if, if there's people you're amped about us or someone else, you know, that's like one of the better ways to support people. So definitely, yeah, that's that's always a message. Us us included, but any any wine that you really like, it's it's really good to buy directly from from people. Yes, Get definitely. Like, mm-hmm. You know. Are there other ways to support, like to, if, if someone was listening and wanted to support you, is there other, are there other ways to support you guys or is it just? Just, I mean, spread the I word. Want, <laughs> tell, tell your friends and then I, I feel like I want, you know, definitely want to start uh, speaking this out into the world. Is there any, you know, any people out there with, you know, millions of dollars who want to, you know, and give us a little more, more resources, make make uh, faster progress, and they think what we're doing is cool. Definitely uh, send us an email. <laughs> yes. Wait, wait. And what so is the website? That until, until someone calls. <laughs> what is the website and what, what's the social media too? Just before I forget to ask. Uh, it's altamarfa.com, A-L-T-A-M-A-R-F-A, uh, and same on Instagram. I love your website. Do you manage your website or does somebody manage it? I do. It's it. really good. Yeah, Yeah. it's super informative. I feel like it's clean and beautiful. There's really good information on there. I know where I can buy your wine, like all the restaurants that sell their wine. There's a list. I love it. And I know how hard websites are. So I like have a newfound appreciation for websites now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. happy to hear that. I did that as my like graduate thesis. (laughs) And who does the drawings too? The, our like labels. Yeah. Um, that's one of Ricky's friends from like middle school. I yeah. love him so much. Yeah, yeah. I'm showing. Yeah, he does an awesome classics. job of like interpreting what are often like really crazy ideas um, and making them look really nice and polished and yeah. and also fun. And it also kind of goes with the handmade theme, yeah. like that everything is you guys. It kind of, even though you, yeah. it's your friend, but it's it feels very, that's it doesn't feel corporate. It feels... It's yeah, very inner circle. Have always not wanted the wine to like feel pretentious or feel like it's like not understandable or not approachable or not fun. So I think that's kind of yes, the other way to convey that. And that's why it's perfect that you're on our show because that's our goal is to get people beyond that wall and make sure people you know realize that it's not that intimidating. It's just just try, start, just start. Just about enjoying it. Yeah, definitely. I, I will measure the success of this episode based on whether or not you get your like infinity investor from this. Like the guy yeah. <laughs> that's just going to plummet you guys into like superstardom. 
that's cross our fingers, guys. That's gonna happen. Yeah, we're, we're here for it. That's good. <laughs> is, is there anything else that you want people to know about you guys or what you're doing? Is there anything we miss? Because I and I apologize for jumping back and forth, and it's it's kind of dealt with right now. Oh, but it's, but people will see that, and you know, they know I'm crazy. Anyways, I've done it a couple times. On other <laughs> that's what it was. The nature of Zoom recordings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't have like a little kid like walk by or a dog that yeah uh, but uh but it I I really think like this is I'm really excited to talk to you guys because I love I love this journey and it's kind of nice because hopefully you'll get to see this five years from now and look back and if, if yeah. YouTube and the, the world exists so well uh you can look back and see that you know this, this is, these are what our this is what my mindset was or our mindset definitely when I think Already, so on, on the website, we do have a bunch of blog entries with a lot of photos from like the first few years, especially. I haven't done one in like a year due to being too busy, <laughs> but I, you know, hope to do more stuff like that. But I think, I think that, you know, a lot of what inspired me to want to do this is reading, a you know, a book or a memoir or different of people starting something like this. So it's definitely, I think that the journey has been super valuable for us seeing other people do things. Um, so definitely I'm excited to look back on, on this podcast in a few years. And, yeah. And there might be, yeah, like you said, people so um, inspired by this to say, yeah. you know, I'm going to do it. I'm just, then I'll wait till the next pandemic and I'll jump and do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's also, you know, it, it's, I always like to talk to people in early stages of things because it shows that, it's possible like this isn't mm -hmm. it's yeah. not easy but it's possible yeah. and look at like look where Aaron and Patrick have come from from the five years ago too when you guys met it's uh, they have a second restaurant and Absolutely. They have an, an amazing wine and barbecue podcast yeah. it's crazy and a whole <laughs> world of regret <laughs> I'm just kidding we love all of our decisions <laughs> wow that's really I mean Fetus number two the second location I remember when you guys were move, moving in and not open yet and that strip mall, whatever, had like mm -hmm. nothing in it. There weren't any yeah. other people there or businesses or anything. And then last time we were there, it's now like looks totally different and is all full of people and activity and stuff. And that's we have really influenced the change in Spring Branch. I'm just kidding. It has nothing to do with this, but I feel like the shopping center that we're in is very, very different than it used to be. And just continually getting more and more awesome with each new business that opens up. So very yeah. inspiring to see. Thank you guys so much for taking the time. And this, this means a lot. And it's, I really, and this is our inaugural episode of season two. So thanks for being so sort of jumpstarting 2023. Yeah. Well, we're very happy thanks to for be having here. us. Thank yeah. You. They were, that was really cool. What an interesting, I'm glad now I know why you like them so much and why you wanted to connect us because yeah what a great people but a great story and that's good for them for you know following their dreams they're kind of like given a little more put of a push in life but gosh it's funny because she did definitely say that I think she had a little bit more of a defined five-year plan and in his eyes, just based on this interview, I could tell it was just kind of like, what? Yeah. Well, we didn't really know where we were taking things. And I'm like, I definitely remember her saying quite a bit of this in the interview and they followed through. So maybe for him, it was more just like he needed to get there. But mm -hmm. it's it was so fun when we were working with Katie 
and just our, our relationship that we still have with them. It's the first time I've ever really seen just how much goes into starting it. And I have so much respect because it's got to be next to impossible to do what they're doing. And for a long time, he was driving. Marfa is eight hours from Houston. So it's eight hours of driving. You can fly to Midland and then drive three hours. There's no easy way to get There's there. No and he, was, he was just going constantly um, and then working Monday through Friday. So I just like, they've worked so hard and I really, I really am passionate about what they're doing. I want to mm -hmm. see them succeed. Definitely. And I, I remember in an interview I had with the artist, John Fleming, he mentioned to embrace the struggle and yeah. like, you know, like he did, like he, him and his wife, they, they wouldn't watch the Cowboys game. They would, he would go and paint or he would do whatever. Like, and it's like, he gave up his weekends and he like, you can do almost anything you want. It's just, you have to give up certain things and really be determined. And they did yeah. that. And it's, you know, it's, I think that'll be good for people that are interested in, you know, opening up a spirits business or open up whatever like it's yeah. possible it's just there's a lot of hurdles but you gotta and look and yeah. they also did it with very little money behind them exactly. and I think that's the bridge that a lot of people feel like is impossible like okay I can commit to working really hard or I can commit to like you know 24 hours of labor on my two days off but like I can't just make money appear and I think Ricky has shown me that it's it's certainly a harder way to do it, but it's it's possible, right? Like you mm -hmm. can find solutions, you can get things done, you can inch your way to where you need to get to, and um, and you can do it with like really limited resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a spectacular story, and I and so for anybody listening I'll, or watching, I'll have links to all their stuff below. But if you're interested in supporting them in a small way. <laughs> join their wine club. That would be a yeah. great way to do it. So that's really cool. Let's, let's talk about Fiji stuff. Yeah. It's been a, this is a season, uh, season two, episode one. So can you give a <laughs> recap a little bit about just for people that might not know what Fiji's barbecue spring branch is all about? Yeah. So Fiji's, well, Fiji's barbecue, we have two locations. Our original location is in a small little food court inside Greenway Plaza. And we cater largely to office workers. Our second location is Spring Branch, and this is a big standalone restaurant. We're open Tuesday through Sunday. Tuesday through Saturday, we're open for lunch and dinner. On Sunday, we are lunch only, and we have a full, expensive menu of Texas barbecue, really creative sides. We also have things on our menu that go beyond barbecue, so it's really like a full dining experience. We've got beer, we have wine, which is why we're on this podcast. <laughs> yes. Wine brought us together yes. uh, in podcast form. We do a lot of catering. This this restaurant feels a little bit just more well-rounded, right? Like it, it touches on like all the little parts of hospitality and, and service. And it, it utilizes a lot of the skills that you and Patrick have not that you're freeway plaza, but this one is like highlighting yeah. beyond the beyond barbecue portion. The beyond and, barbecue. Yeah. We're can able you, to be really creative. Can you just for fun name a couple creative things that you do that people might not know? Oh, um I know I put well, you on the like spot. This, I wasn't gonna, you, I was you gonna know say, it, like <laughs> this is like when Patrick asked me where I want to eat and I've like thought about it every day for a month and then all of a sudden my brain goes blank. Um <laughs> well we do a lot of we do a lot of stuff on our menu that I think is creative and fun. A lot of the sides, they don't, so I like the elote 
I get a lot of credit for like bringing a low tailor like barbecue because that was five years ago and now you see it everywhere and fried Brussels sprouts. Um, But back when we started serving those things, those were very kind of cutting edge, which just feels weird. But barbecue was so traditional to do things that were not part of the traditions of barbecues felt very new and different. Mm -hmm. And now because of the restaurant and the fact that we have a kitchen, we're able to cook things to order. It doesn't have to be, you know, cafeteria style. We have a lot of dishes on our menu that bring in a lot of that creativity and um, you feel more just like being at a regular restaurant. And when we do catering and private events, I think that's where Patrick and I really like to come up with stuff and like stretch our wings because we don't have to create it day after day, month that's after true. month. It's kind of just like, we really just have to nail it and get this execution down for this, you know, group of 25. And so we really stretch our wings there. And we've got a couple of events coming up and the menus I'm really excited about. We've got a brisket bourguignon dish that's, you know, our brisket, how we would normally prepare it, but we're going to chill it. And then when we reheat it, we're going to be reheating it in a bourguignon sauce, pickled Uh, pearl onions. Um, So it's going to have this like very rich component to it. Very classic, traditional French, mm -hmm. but so different than how it's ever been really thought of before. We're also going to do, we do things like smoked fish, like smoked fish dip as appetizers. We do smoked brisket meatballs. Um, on top of fried cabbage with uh, chipotle cranberry jam on top of it. I don't know. It's like the possibilities are really endless. And we just always like to, not everything has to be smoked, but we have a smoker. And I really kind of like to see how things work on the smoker. I love smoking onions. I just, I used to tell the kitchen, like, we just need to always have smoked onions on hand because they're a a really good base for things. Like, it's a really good base for a soup. It's a really good base for stock. Like, it kind of takes stock in a different, like, it adds a whole layer um, when you're making a stock if your onions are smoked. And also, if you leave them on there long enough, I mean, that is like the classic caramelized onion, right? Like, low and slow is how you caramelize an onion. So just put it on a smoker and then you don't have to stir it for five hours, right? Mm-hmm. And you just get this really nice like sweetness, but it also is smoky. I leave it in the skin too, so it doesn't get too smoky. Oh, that's smart. Um, yeah, and like, we don't do that anymore because we we weren't always finding ways to use the onions. So I said, okay, we don't have to always have them on hand now, but like, that's kind of where my head goes whenever I'm thinking of, I want to add complexity to a dish. I'm like, smokes my onions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's also something too, when people come visit, year after year say they're coming to Houston once a year or they're coming multiple times a month things there's specials Mm -hmm. there's different things you're always thinking because you have the opportunity to be able to do that at this restaurant yeah and be creative and you'll have yeah there's things that you'll have that'll be staples and then also there are seasonal things too I've you noticed I've noticed that things have have changed throughout the seasons of last year so that's that's really cool I I just wanted people to get a, a handle as to like why we were taught, like why it was important and why people should, you know, make you a destination because, you know, give you a try. And it's, I think that, and it's also, so people know it's not, uh, it's not a meat market style at this location. Yeah. More restaurant style. More restaurant style. So Super Bowl is coming up. That's a big deal for you guys, right? For barbecue. Yeah. Super Bowl is a big deal in the barbecue world. We're really like pimping out the wings. We do smoked chicken wings and we have five sauce options. Um, and we also, this was the creative genius of our chef, but we have barbecue bowls. Those have been on our menu for a while. Mm-hmm. 
but we were talking about doing them in aluminum half pans and super bowls, oh, right? Same so layers, you know, it's kind of like seven layer dip, but it's not dip, right? It's like rice, uh, lettuce, elote, you know, like all the layers of flavor uh, and then the meat on top. But for a party, like enough to feed, you know, a dozen people. And so I, I thought, oh my God, that's so smart. So super bowls. Are they, are they on the website or are they? Not yet. We're, um, we will get them on. They'll be on by the time. Yeah. Okay. They should be on before this podcast is live. Okay, cool. So that's Hopefully. a, that's a cool, that's, oh, that would be just phenomenal for any party. Uh, yeah. That's and we're going to be, we're going to show, so we're normally closed on Sunday after 3 PM, but for the Super Bowl, just like we did last year, we're going to stay open. We're going to have the Super Bowl on all three of our projectors. If the weather's nice, we're also going to have it on the screen on the patio. And so we're pretty much dedicating like all of Super Bowl Sunday to the Super Bowl and, and watching it. Um, and so we'll have specials, we'll have drinks, we'll have the game on. Um, and last year we had a pretty good crowd. It wasn't crazy. Like there was a really good amount of people where it felt fun, but there was, you know, people weren't fighting for tables and space and seating. Like it, it was really comfortable, yeah. um, which is how I want to watch. Like yeah. that's how I want to be when I'm watching the Super Bowl is comfortable. I don't want to be like in standing room only. Standing room only. Yeah. That's just, yeah. Or, or trying to like hover over someone when they leave just to, yeah but no one would leave because you want to watch the whole game so yeah so oh that's cool they can't reserve a space there it is it's a first come first serve kind of thing it's first come first serve so you can't reserve a space but like i said it really wasn't necessary last year it was like we had maybe one or two tables that were still left open mm -hmm. it just really felt like the right size it was yeah. it was a good crowd yeah and like you know wyatt who's not wasn't into football last year hopefully he's more into it this year but he just played outside so like i yeah. i was able to watch the game which is also really nice when yeah, you have little amazing. kids sometimes you're like not able to pay attention but he was outside playing with the other kids that were there so i got to actually watch the game in the halftime show that's all do you have a deadline for people getting in orders in for pickup for the super bowl like would you want friday ahead of time or what you can pick up as late as saturday so but i would get the orders in you know, soon we're going to have order thing on our website so that you can go to the website and place an order and, and really anything on our menu is probably appropriate for the, the Super Bowl, but we're going to have kind of a special Super Bowl menu where we've taken things that we just think will, it'll make it easier to kind of filter through everything. These are the things that we think are like perfect for a Super Bowl party. And that'll all be on the website. So you can just go to fegisbbq.com and yeah, place your order. You can pick up Sunday even, but I recommend if you do buy in bulk food that's served chilled and you reheat it on your own. So if you want to pick up on Saturday, but you're obviously hosting your party on Sunday, that's the way to go. Um, but you could also pick up on Sunday and get hot food. But I will say this last year, we had so many people order to go and, you know, large orders, they're ordering like five pounds of brisket and six racks of ribs. And, um, you know, we're going to obviously cook a lot that day, but if you you're really invested in getting some barbecue, don't wait till the last minute because, you know, we, we probably will run out of things. That's 
excellent advice. That's that that was kind of my, that was my question because yeah, it, that will happen, and and especially like it happens all across the country. So it, yeah, all, you know, so. any barbecue restaurant doesn't have to be Fuji's Barbecue. <laughs> Wherever you're planning to order yeah. food from for Super Bowl Sunday, yeah. don't wait till the last minute, so, yeah, <laughs> or or you will be hungry. <laughs> yeah, you'll be hungry, and you'll be lots of nachos, just <laughs> which are easy to make. But then also too, you do not want to. Here's another piece of advice: do not go to the supermarket on Sunday. It is awful. <laughs> Like I, I used to work in supermarkets opening cheese shops and it was just that day is just and people are like chicken yeah. with their cat hot like head chicken with their head cut off. They don't know where anything is. It's just yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Okay. So that and then also I wanted to make sure you guys make your own sausage now. Or you're getting yes. to like Yeah. So like it's been a project. We actually started making sausage five years ago when we opened at Greenway Plaza. And then we decided we like shifted away from making our own sausage because we only had one smoker and you really need to cold smoke sausage. And because we only had one smoker and it was pretty much constantly running at a high temp or higher temp than you would cold smoke. We could never, we never had that window to cold smoke. And so we couldn't get a good snap. So we just decided, okay, it's not going to work at this location. And we just found a really great sausage um, that was made locally. And that's what we've been selling when we opened in Spring Branch, we have multiple smokers. And so it's been about a year of kind of getting through the opening and the craziness and kind of settling into like a good place. And then Patrick saying, okay, like now's my time. I'm going to, we're going to restart this sausage. And so we just, the first one that we're serving that's available at both locations is Hot Guts. Um, It's a pork and beef, I believe, link. And we love it. I honestly, I'm like so blown away with how good, how consistently good it is. Uh, um, so highly recommend when you come in, you order the hot links. We okay. also still have the regular sausage because we're kind of, we're going to introduce a house-made like traditional style that's not hot. And until that's probably like any day now, but until we've got that, like really locked in, we've got our regular sausage. The transition now. Wow. That, and then you'll be experimenting as time goes on. That's fun. That's... I feel like we've opened Pandora's box because now the guys are just like constantly, like, let's try this. Let's try this. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like yeah, give me a traditional a... sausage guys. Like the mm-hmm. hot links is phenomenal. Now get me something of equal quality. That's, you know, more traditional style and then start experimenting. But also like, I feel like the sausage gods, like you have to pay your respect to the sausage gods before they'll just let you willy nilly like create stuff. So I'm like, you need to like get Mm -hmm. a little bit more experience, like make this more than, you know, for more than a month because, you know, of course they already feel like they're pros. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The pros have been doing it for decades. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're a baby in the sausage world. (laughs) So like pay your respects to the sausage gods before you start trying to think like too far outside the box yeah and be able to be consistent and yeah productive learn, and it. learn lessons it's like wine like yeah. humidity and moisture and there's a lot of science in sausage and i think it's really important that these guys really understand all of that mm-hmm. oh, yeah. so that they can apply those lessons to the experiments that they want to have like with making fun sausages definitely what would be what would you pair your hot gut with wine wise wine wise yeah Ooh, I think I would go. So it's, to me, it's really spicy to most people. It's the perfect amount of spice. So like, cause my threshold is probably a little bit low. I think you would need, well, it's rich and fatty. So definitely like you need some acidity to cut through some of the fat that's in there. 
and then that spice, I would go with like a Riesling or like the, a high acid white wine that has like a richness and body to it. We have a wine that's on our menu right now, the Tete Blanche, and it's, it's a white blend, um, which you just learned a lot about blends. And I think that would be a killer wine with the hot link. All right. Well, if you end up taking a photo or trying that, please let me know. And so that way we could, uh, like either add it here or add it later on. I could like, yeah, that's cool. That's fun. Okay. Well that, and then you still have gold belly. That's something too. People can, yes. when they go to the website, it's easy to find where you ship. So, yeah. So if you're not local, um, and you want barbecue, we ship a lot of great barbecue options, uh, are available from Fuji's barbecue on gold belly. So definitely recommend going online and placing those orders and getting that stuff in on time. So yeah, gold belly love working with gold belly. They were fantastic for us during the holidays. I feel like a lot of people around the country got to try barbecue, even Mm -hmm. in Hawaii, even in Alaska. And so it just is really cool to think about people all over the country, yes. like eating your food. Yeah, that's awesome. But it's so it's so good to to see you this year. We're gonna make sure that we try to get people from all walks of life within yeah. the wine world. And I think I, bye. <laughs> bye.